Amen. You can have a seat this morning. God is so good and faithful. And he will never, ever leave us or forsake us because he is an amazing God. He is an amazing God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I need to publicly apologize to our worship team this morning because in first service, I said that my first page of my notes was missing. I thought somebody, one of them took it just to mess with me, but I had left it on my desk. <laughs> so worship team, I'm sorry for uh, saying y'all took my paper or hid the paper and it had fallen off. It was totally on me, man. So I got to just publicly apologize. Um, remind me to do it next week in Spanish service. <laughs> just messing. But man, God is so awesome. And remember that God's awesomeness doesn't mean that there won't be issues in life. Jesus told us, in the world there will be tribulation, but have peace. I've overcome the world. God's awesomeness doesn't stop because somebody allowed themselves to be used by the enemy. We need to remember every single day and every single time, the ruler of this age and this world right now, in the world we live in, even though we're under the dispensation of grace, it's the devil. He's the one that roams, comes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But God, who is still on the throne, will see us through it all. In the midst of trial, circumstance, tribulation, problem, infirmity, calamity, God is there. And he does not stop being awesome. And he doesn't have an off season. Literally, as like a season where he takes off, or figuratively, a team that was very good and had an off season. He's always on, he's always victorious, and he's always right on time. Can we give God one more hand of praise this morning? Online campus, we love you. We welcome you as well. Amen. Uh, uh, I'm, amen. I'm fired up this morning as we get ready to jump into part two of this series called The Potholes of Life. And I actually want to start today talking about something that I love. I love football. Any football fans in the house? Yeah? All right. Praise the Lord. Now, Y'all remember, when football season starts in a few weeks, we'll still go to church. But anyways, um, in 2008, the Miami Dolphins were coming off historically their worst season ever. In 2007, the Miami Dolphins went 1-15. and And if you remember, they won that game by chance because Camarillo ran back a touchdown, ran a touchdown like 85 yards or something ridiculous. If not, they would have gone 0-16. And in 2008, we got a new coach, Tony Sperano, not Soprano. And he started the season with a whopping record of 0 and 2. 1 and 15, 0 and 2. And the Dolphins got on a plane on the third week of the season, and they went to play Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the New England Patriots at Gillette Stadium. The first quarter was zero to zero, and at the end of the first quarter, all of a sudden, the quarterback went off the field. The running back got into position of quarterback, and all of the Patriots defense was like, what's going on? They hiked the ball to Brown, and he easily went six yards into the end zone and scored the touchdown, and it was the birth of the Wildcats. 
Y'all remember what I'm talking about? Now, the Patriots weren't ready. Bill Belichick got his headset. He screamed, probably cussed. God forgive him. Let him come to Jesus. I mean, he, he was livid. And the rest of that game, the Miami Dolphins wiped the grass, the turf, Gillette Stadium with Al's Patriots. He's a Patriot fan. Got to throw it in. You know, his name is in Gillette Stadium. Uh, they make signs for, they have a company that makes signs, and he actually got the honor of making a bunch of signs for their stadium, uh, like the big logos and all the different stuff. So he signed the inside of them with his name. So all over the stadium, his name's on it. <laughs> now, you know what happened? The next week, the Dolphins ran the Wildcat again. And the following week, they ran the Wildcat again. The following week, they ran the Wildcat again. And nine weeks after the Dolphins went to Gillette Stadium and trounced the Patriots 38 to 13, nine weeks later, the Patriots came to Miami. And when the Patriots came to Miami, they came ready for the Wildcat. And that day, the Wildcat only got the Dolphins 27 yards. And when they had to go back to a traditional offense in that game, the Patriots trounced the Dolphins 48 to 28. Can I tell you what happened? The Dolphins ran into the temptation of the pothole of repetition. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, the pothole of repetition. Now, what do I talk about or what am I meaning? And, and, and I told you last week what I, what the definition that I wrote for potholes of life. A pothole of life are depressions in the road of life that cause hurts, wounds, pain in us and in others around us. That is what a pothole is, a pothole of life. Depressions in the road of life that cause hurts, wounds, and pain in us and in others around us. Now, what is repetition? Repetition is the action of repeating something that has already been written, said, or done. One more time, repetition. The action of repeating something that has already been written, said, or done. And if you're writing things down, this is the definition that I came up with for a, the pothole of repetition. It's doing things the same way we did it yesterday because it worked yesterday. See, that's what the pothole of repetition is. The temptation of repetition is doing things the same way we did them yesterday because it worked yesterday. But can I tell you what Isaiah 43.19 says? This is what Isaiah 43.19 says. It's going to come up on the screen in a second. It says, behold, I am doing a new thing. I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What's happening here in Isaiah 43? Well, let me give you the, the Cliff Notes version. I know that high school students and college students today use a different program than Cliff Notes, but that's what I know. I'm old. Cliff Notes. So the Cliff Notes version of what's taking place is this. Israel had been in the song, of song and dance, get close to God, fall away from God. 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 And so when they would fall away from God, many a times they would fall under a, a slavery or some type of oppression. And in this very moment, they were under the oppression of the Babylonians. Now, what had God done when they had been in slaves in Egypt for 400 years? He set them free 
from Egypt and Pharaoh by his mighty hand. This is where we see the 10 plagues through Moses, right? All of this had taken place. And so Israel is again now in bondage because they had messed up and they were in sin. They're in this place. And God looks at them through Isaiah as we're talking to the people of Israel and saying, hey, hey, I'm not going to free you the same way I did before. I'm doing something new. Why? Because every obstacle, every problem, every fight, every battle, every opponent requires a different strategy. And many times we fall into the pothole of repeating what we did yesterday because it worked yesterday. And it ruins the relationship. We end up hitting that pothole and disaligning our cars or getting a flat tire, messing up our suspension. Why? Because we were just resting on yesterday's. You know, that season of the Dolphins, it, it, it worked for a few games. They actually went 11 and 5 this year, that year. And in the name of Jesus, yeah, this year too. Um, and, and, or Bretter. And they even, you know what they did at the end of the season? They drafted Pat White, skinny quarterback who was a running quarterback to try to do the Wildcat offense with an actual quarterback instead of a running back. And I think he got hit once and was done. They just tried to repeat. Instead of strategizing, what's the new way to maintain it? What's the new way to do it? And you and I many times fall victim to the temptation of hitting the pothole of repetition. Every battle or situation has a different strategy. We see that throughout Scripture. Can I tell you a few examples? See, all of us hear about the sea being parted, the Red Sea, right? Everybody know the Red Sea story? Children of Israel... Slaves 400 years in Egypt. God calls them out through Moses. They get out into this wilderness and they get to the Red Sea. Got all the million people there, the children of Israel, Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptians behind them ready to trounce them. God tells Moses. Moses says, God, what do I do now? I mean, you told me to come, right? Like, where do we do? God says to Moses, get your staff, extend it to the sea. And when Moses obeys God and does that, the sea parts and all of Israel goes through on dry land. Then the Egyptians tried to follow, and God took away his hand. The waters came and closed, and all the Egyptians were taken out in one fell swoop. But that's not the only time that the seas are parted in Scripture. As a matter of fact, Moses dies. Joshua becomes the new leader of Israel, and they're going to get ready to cross the River Jordan to go into the Promised Land to begin to conquest and get all of the land that God had promised. And they had to cross the river Jordan. And the river Jordan was parted. But can I tell you, Joshua didn't walk up to the river and get Moses' staff or his staff or a sword or a banner or a flag or whatever and put it up to the river Jordan. No, that time God told Joshua, send the ark ahead of you. And so Joshua got the priest to come up carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says in Joshua chapter 3 that when they got to the water and put their feet in the water, it parted. Different strategy for a different situation. If you fast forward throughout Scripture to the book of 2 Kings, sorry, 2 Samuel, you're going to find the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is training up this young prophet called Elisha. He's at the end of his life. This is after the 450 prophets of Baal. This is when God tells him, go anoint Elisha. And he tells Elisha, all right, I'm anointing you. I got to go. And Elisha's following. He's like, I'm not going. I'm going to, wherever you go, I go. And, the, and, and Elijah gets to the river and he takes his mantle 
and he hits the river with his mantle, and the river opens, and Elijah crosses, and Elisha crosses. Then the whirlwind comes and takes Elijah up. The mantle falls down. If you remember, Elisha had asked Elijah for a double portion of the anointing. That's what he wanted. He says he didn't want fame. He didn't want wealth. He didn't want money. He wanted anointing. And so when he is taken up, the mantle falls to the ground, and Elisha gets the mantle. And it's the only time we see that repetition where he gets back to the Jordan, and God basically says to Elisha, I got you, dude. Get the same mantle and touch the water again. It parted and he crossed. But the, part, the waters were parted different ways in different times. Why? Because God does things new. How about when Moses is with the children of Israel in the wilderness? In the desert. Now, if you didn't know this, there's not a lot of water in the desert. Hence why it's called the desert. It's missing an S, double S is dessert, and we want more of that. Anybody here ever have a hard time spelling desert and dessert? All right, so I'm going to tell, tell you what I used to tell, tell my students when I was a classroom teacher. You want more dessert, not more desert. So dessert's the one with the extra S's. All right, anyways. That's a good one, right? Yeah, I see. You can use it with your middle schoolers now. All right. So they're in the desert. There's not a lot of water in the desert, and the children of Israel are complaining Oh, I wish that we were back in Egypt where we had pomegranates and water and salt and food and forget that God has been doing everything for us and got us out of here. Why don't we go back? And Moses goes to God and he's like, God, I can't. These people, they're driving me bananas. They're thirsty. What do I do? God says to Moses, get your rod and hit the rock. So Moses goes to the rock. He gets the bat. I can imagine him choking, not the bat, the, 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 the staff. I imagine him choking up on it like a bat and going, bam, right? Like pretending it was one of the heads of the children of Israel. <laughs> and he hits it in obedience to God's word, and instantly water comes out of that rock. Everybody gets water. Fast forward, some time passes. That was in Exodus 17. Then you go to Numbers chapter 20, and again, the children of Israel, we don't have water, and God has given us manna, and all we have is this manna that tastes like coriander seed, and all we have is this and that, and I wish I could go back to Egypt. And Moses is like, done, right? But he goes to God again. He says, God, these people want water. God tells Moses, go to the rock. They were in Meribah. He says, go to the rock and speak to the rock. And then Moses goes over there, and he gets his rod, and he gets really choked up on it, and he swings with all his might and hits the rock. Nothing happened. It was like the wildcat on the third game. But then he went, and he choked up, and he hit the rock again, and God, in his infinite mercy, gave water to the Israelites. But Moses' disobedience caused him the entrance to the promised land. He fell trap to the temptation of the pothole of repetition. And not just because it had worked before, but because he was angry, frustrated, and upset at the children of Israel for what they had been doing. But for everything, God has a different strategy. And we've got to understand that if we don't walk with the strategy 
of the person or, or the strategy that God gives us against the opponent in front of us, we will lose the battle. And we can turn around and say, but it worked yesterday. This is how we did it before. This is what happened before. The reality is every battle takes a different strategy. If you've read your Bible, when Joshua starts to lead the children of Israel across that place and conquesting all of the different lands, they get to the land of Jericho. Y'all heard the story of Jericho, right? Jericho is this city that was fortified. It had these walls. And it's not like, you know, like the walls that we put around our houses here in Miami. You know what I'm talking about? You walk down the street and everybody's got these uh, 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 concrete fences that is uh, uh, the brick. Um, I can't remember the name of what you call the blocks. A block, a, a cinder block. All right. It was made out of these cinder blocks, right? The only thing that could live inside of a cinder block is some ants, maybe a rat. The walls of Jericho were so wide that it's where NASCAR was invented. The chariots raced, go left, go left, all the way around the walls on the top of the thing. I don't have many NASCAR fans in here. That didn't work. <laughs> I'm a NASCAR fan. That's why I came up with it. But I guess I found it funny. It's all right. Don't, you don't have to laugh. But it was so wide that the chariots raced each other up on top of the thing. It was so wide that it was apartment living. They made apartments in the walls. That's where Rahab lived. Rahab owned a penthouse suite in the walls of Jericho, and she was used by God to spare the spies that had gone in to spy out the land. Now, can you imagine the conversation that Joshua had to have with his generals? Can you just, just bear with me? This is not in the Bible. I, I'm just I'm, I'm imagining how it took place. Joshua, this part is in the Bible. Joshua goes to God. He prays. God gives him the divine strategy of how to defeat Jericho. So can you imagine that Joshua calls all the leaders in? All right, guys, we got it. God gave us the plan. Everybody's like, all right, we've been sharpening our swords. We're ready. We got the clubs. We're good to go. And Joshua says, no, 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 no. See, we're going to put all the fighters in the back of the line. And we're going to call the worshipers and the priests to the front of the line. And we're going to line them up. And we're going to go out in front of Jericho. And we're going to march around the city in complete and utter silence. That's how you know there was no Cubans there. <laughs> complete and utter silence all around. See, I got a lot of Cubans here. That one landed. All right. So all the way around. And when you finish the lap, you're going to go back to the camp. And then we're going to do it a second day, a third day, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times and they're like, okay, and then, and then, and then we're going to yell. I can just imagine the generals like, um, where's Moses? Like, God, like, are you sure? Right? So then what happens? Well, the Bible says that they had victory. They went out and they marched around the first day, the second day, the sec third day, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. On the seventh day, they walked around seven times. At the end of the seven times, they all shouted and the walls began to shake, and they all crumbled. As a matter of fact, the ruins of Jericho were found by historians and archaeologists, and they say that it looks like somebody sat on the walls because all of the walls were crushed out except for one piece in the back where it looks like somebody sat on a chair. That was Rahab's penthouse. Now go with me. We're talking about the pothole of repetition. What do you think happened in the next general's meeting when they get to the next city. Joshua walks in. 
All right, guys, we got the battle plan. They're like, yes, Joshua, we already told everybody. Make sure their shofars are cleaned out. Make sure they're ready with the ark. Everything is good to go. And Joshua says, no, no, no. This time we are not marching around the city. What do you mean? Like it worked. Like we just destroyed the most fortified city by marching the city. What do you mean we're not marching this time? Come on, Joshua. But for real, it's like, I spoke to God. I listened to God. And now I'm going to obey God. See, it was a different strategy. We never see again in Scripture the children of Israel marching around places. We see a different strategy every time there was a different war. So what do we need to do? We need to fight the temptation to repeat the previous victory or the strategy we had in the previous victory and get a fresh strategy for every situation. We need to get a fresh strategy for every situation. Can I give you three keys to get a fresh strategy? Here it is. It's very, 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 very complicated. Ready? Watch. Seek God, listen to God, obey God. Seek God. How do you seek God? You read the word, you pray, you worship. Seek God. Then you stay quiet so that you can listen to God. He might speak to you through a person. He might speak to you through the scripture that you read. He might speak to you through a song. He might speak to you through a plant that was waving a certain way. I mean, God can speak to you through anything. We saw how he spoke to Balaam through a donkey, right? And if he could use a donkey, he can use us. So you seek God, you listen to God, but then you obey God. Moses was good at this all until Meribah. See, when he got to Meribah, he sought God. And he listened to God. But when he got to the rock, he didn't obey God. And even though God was gracious and the children of Israel got water, his tire blew up in the pothole of repetition, and he did not get to enter into the promised land. So what do we need to do? We need to combat falling trap to the pothole of repetition because something worked yesterday. Can you go with me to 1 Samuel 23 for a minute? 1 Samuel 23. I told you I was fired up about this message this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 23. I'm going to start reading verse number one. It says, then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla, and they're robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David, highlight that. If you've got a Bible, highlight this. Inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Then I underline this part. And the Lord said to David, go and attack and save Kayla. He sought God, he listened to God. So then he tells his people, this is what happens in verse 3, he tells everybody, okay, this is what we're doing. And the people, the, the men of David say to him, look, we're afraid here in Judah. You got to remember this part, he's not king yet. He's anointed, but he's not, he's anointed to be the next king when he was a kid out in the field and had been overlooked. But he's not the king yet. And Saul is looking to kill him because Saul knew that the anointing was upon him. And that's another preaching. So David 
looks at the guys, and the guys are like, no, 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 no. In Judah, we're afraid. Saul's after us. How much more if we go into Calah against the armies of the Philistines? So David, verse 4, he inquires of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. David sought God, listened to God, and verse 5 says that he obeyed God. It says in verse number 5, And David and his men went to Calah, and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. And can I tell you something? David didn't go down there with a slingshot and a bag full of rocks. That was only against Goliath. At this time, when he had fled from Saul, and he had gone to the priest's house, the priest had said, the only thing I have here is the sword of Goliath, whom you killed. And David said, what sword better than that one? So David was fighting this battle with Goliath's old sword, not with a slingshot and a bunch of rocks. We all still picture David. I got a little precious moment statue in my house of David with a little slingshot. Now, nah, they got a point where David used Goliath's sword. And if you remember, Goliath, the nine-foot-tall behemoth that David fought got, and knocked over with the rock that he threw and God made it land, cut Goliath's head off with his own sword. I'm, I'm, side, I'm, I'm sidetracking, sorry. Let's get back here. So he obeys him. Now watch what happens in verse number six. Verse number six says, Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Amalek, fled to David at Calah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Calah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. So then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. We can do a whole compare and contrast about Saul with no anointing on his own strength against David under the anointing. Seeking God, listening to God, and obeying God. We know Saul didn't. So this is what happens. Look at where we are. We're in verse number 9. Or 8. Then Saul called the people together for war to go down to Caleb to besiege David and his men. Verse number 9. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Calah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And then David said, Will the men of Calah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Calah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Calah, so he halted the expedition. Let's break this down. What could have been the pothole of repetition at this moment? David is faced with the news. The Philistines are attacking Calah. He goes and seeks the Lord. He listens. And after he listens and he's ready to go obey, the people are freaking out. So he seeks the Lord, listens, and the Lord says, go, I've given you, the, I've given you victory. And he goes and he obeys. 
So what would have been that situation? Well, when he's there after a massive victory with 600 soldiers, 600 men, and he hears Saul is on his way, temptation of repetition probably told David, you got this. Your enemy who seeks to kill you is coming here, and you're in a fortified city. You've got the upper hand. You just had victory. You can take this guy out. But David didn't fall trapped to that pothole of repeating the victory that he had just gotten. No, he went back and sought the Lord. And after he listened to the Lord, that the Lord said, yep, Saul is coming. He asked for a clarification. He said, okay, so if Saul is coming, God, are these guys going to give me up? I mean, I just was used by you to deliver them out of the hands of the Philistine. Are they going to give me up? And God said, they're going to give you up. And so what was the strategy from God at that moment? Get your 600 men and go elsewhere. Oh, he didn't fight. Sometimes the fighting is being quiet and going somewhere else to continue to seek the Lord, to continue to pray, to continue to fast, to continue to wait for the moment that God says, this is the new strategy. But our pride, come on, who drives a pickup truck in the building? I got to drive a pickup truck. That's not a big puddle. I can drive through that, not realizing that in the midst of the puddle, there was an even bigger pothole. So what does pride say? See, I went from driving sports cars when I was younger to SUVs and then a pickup truck. I ain't never going back after a pickup truck. (laughs) But when I used to drive my little sports car when I was in, you know, college and thought I was the stuff, I went away from every puddle. I didn't want to flood my RX-8, no. But I got my Silverado now. So what does pride say? It's just water. And what, let's bring it to the spiritual component. What does pride say after we saw God move in our life? It's not about when we had victory just on our own. These are people who had victory because of God. But man, pride says, I can do it again. And when you think it's you, week nine against the Patriots in your own home turf comes back. And what you thought was the way that you were going to win it all, and even the Super Bowl, is your demise. Because you took God out of the equation. And he's the most important part. To seek him, to listen to him, and then... To obey him. I, can't, I, I could probably write a book of how many times people have told me they're going through a situation and we pray, we seek the Lord, we get an answer that we feel God says this is what you should do, but then they don't do it. Yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me but I don't know, and, and I'll ask them the question because I remember what we prayed about and what we talked about and I'll be like, hey, so, so last time we met, we prayed and and God said to do this. Have you done that? Well, you know, I can't. Babo. Obey. Seek. Listen. Obey. See, that's how we avoid potholes. Seek. Listen. 
obey. Come on, online campus, put that in the comment box and you guys here, say it with me. Seek, listen, obey. One more time. Loud, loud. When you seek and you listen and you obey, we'll avoid the pothole of repetition. But pastor, I've already messed it up. Pastor, I've, I've already hit it. My car's unaligned, my suspension's a little shot. I told you guys when we started the series last week, Jesus, he repaves the roads. See, Jesus will come and fix the pothole, and he'll also give you a new suspension and a brand new set of tires and align it so it drives straight. And what does it take from us? I've got the best news. It is easy. All it takes is to believe that he's the son of God and to confess him as your Lord and Savior. What does the Bible say? It says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he says that if you confess with your mouth, when you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Seek, listen, I want everybody to stand to their feet this morning because some of you that are here today or perhaps watching online, you're here today for the sole purpose that you were going through a problem and you decided to seek God. And then you've been here and this message inspired by God, delivered through a man, was God speaking to you and now you've listened, you've heard. But can I tell you that the most important part is to obey. So if today you're at the sound of my voice, every head bowed, every eye closed, and today you've heard God say, I want a relationship with you. I want to take you from being a creation to a child. Obey God and surrender. And what does it take? It takes confessing what we believe. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if today you say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, or I want to restart my relationship, amend it, fix it, restore it because I had walked away believing it in your heart. Say this prayer with me in church. Let's pray it together. Say, God, I'm a sinner and on my own, I cannot get to you, but I believe Jesus is your son. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay the price for my sin, for my unrighteousness. So today, I ask Jesus, come and live in my heart. Write my name in the book of life. And from now on, God, I am yours. And you are mine. In Jesus' name. Come on, just lift your hands and worship up to him this morning.